0: always right radio on am 1420 the answer It's your host Bob France yes indeed it is and it's every bit of
2: that good morning thanks for joining us fellow patriots on a Wednesday edition of always right radio it's the te- uh, 10 minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this 11th morning of the first month of the year of our lord 2023 coming up for the first time I will be interviewing Jim Jordan as chairman of the house judiciary committee
3: Can you dig it?
2: <laughs> I have interviewed I've interviewed Congressman Jim Jordan many many times I have interviewed um, Ranking member of the Judiciary Committee, Jim Jordan, many, many times, I have never interviewed Jim Jordan as chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, as a man who is going to be tasked with bringing law and order and accountability back to the federal government with subpoena power to beat the band and expose every bit of the trash that we have been watching and that the media has been covering up and that the leftists who have been in charge of our federal government refuse to address, he's going to be able to expose it all. And I had a guest on last week who said he doesn't think Jordan's going to be able to get much done. Uh, I'm going to ask Jim Jordan about that very directly. He said, he's going to go in there, he's going to roll up his sleeves, we're going to get down to the business of exposing those who have weaponized government, exposing those who have colluded with big tech, exposing those that have targeted uh, parents and all the rest, but at the end of the day, he's not going to have any power to get anything done. That was what the message was for one of my guests last week. And I'm very, very hopeful that that is not accurate. But I'm going to ask him about that. I'm going to ask him about whether or not uh, this is pie in the sky, if this is all hopeful, if this is all you know tilting in windmills, or if this is achievable, this is something that's doable. So that conversation is coming up at 935. You're not going to want to miss that here. So it's in about uh, 25 minutes or 20 minutes or so. So we're looking forward to that. Then in the 11 o'clock hour, I'm looking forward just as much to our weekly conversation with Jack Windsor because, holy cow, have Ohio politics heated up. Derek Maron was supposed to be the speaker. He was backstabbed by 22 disloyal, non-conservative, phony, fake Republicans in his own party who combined with 32 Democrats who just did what Democrats do, and that is look out for themselves. Uh, And Derek Maron is not speaker. Jason Stevens is. You know what Derek Maron is doing? He's acting like a speaker anyway. He is calling, or has called... um a meeting of all non-censured Republicans in the 67-member Republican House. They're going to have a meeting, and it's, uh, it's very interesting. It's going to take place today. They're going to set goals and procedures, establish House rules, discuss House Joint Resolution 6, redistricting, uh, work with the Republican-led Senate and other policies. And the only people invited are the 45 who are not censured. In other words, we're going to work out, we're going to meet, and we're going to work to to uh, accomplish the objective and the agenda of the Republican Party as if I was the Speaker. Um, this is this is amazing to me, and especially considering when I had Al Katrona and DJ Swearingen on and when I've read the interviews with other members of the Gang of 22, uh, they're all talking about how they did what they did in the interest of unity. <laughs> they did what they did in the interest of stability. They did what they did to bring the Republican Party together. Forty-five of the 67 voted as they promised they would for Derek Maron. Twenty-two of them completely uh, stabbed uh, their own party and the people that represent, they represent in the back. And uh, now they're saying they have unity. Interesting, to say the least. A lawsuit has been filed against the state of Ohio for trying to secure their elections. You know that the new voter ID law, which has been implemented, which Mike DeWine signed, that does require a photo identification when voting in person, which is extraordinarily important. It defines a photo ID as an unexpired Ohio driver's license, a state ID card, interim identification form, U.S. passport or passport card, or military ID card that does include the individual's name and photograph. Sounds reasonable to me. Because you know what we found out during the week of you know the tumultuous week of deciding on who the speaker of the house is going to be in in uh, Washington D.C., you know what made it amazing? Everybody was only allowed one vote, and everybody knew how everybody voted because you couldn't just drop a vote in a drop box unsigned because you couldn't just mail it in and have it arrive late and then have it count later on when you actually have to know who is voting and ensure that everybody only gets one vote, um, it's a lot more difficult to cheat. It's a lot more difficult to steal. And that's all this does is make it more difficult to cheat and steal elections. That's it. The new law also allows only one drop box per county. I wish it was zero. But it changes from seven to four the number of days after an election that a voter has to prove identity that wasn't proven at the polls and shortens the time frame during which a voter may apply for and cast absentee ballots. That's a good thing. The law allows state ID cards to be issued for free to any person 17 and over, which eliminates any trashy, left-wing, bogus arguments about a poll tax. Oh, you're going to require people who are poor, who are predominantly minorities. Racial minorities are going to lose their vote. They are going to be disenfranchised, we are told. If you have a voter photo identification law in place because you're going to make them go and buy a driver's license or a state ID that they can't afford. This is completely racist. Well, we've eliminated that. It's free. State ID, name, photo, address, prove who you are. Free. There is no poll tax, so let's beat them. Actually, I can't beat them to the argument, because I've actually read on Twitter already a few different times. Follow me on Twitter if you're there, at France Rants, F-R-A-N-T-Z, R-A-N-T-Z. Uh, but there are people already there saying, there's a poll tax in Ohio. These idiots just think we didn't read what the bill says. But anyway, there's a lawsuit to challenge that now. As you can imagine, Mark Elias, Democratic Party elections lawyer and activist, filed a lawsuit uh challenging the voter ID law and uh Jack Windsor and I are going to discuss that coming up on Friday or excuse me Friday excuse me this was done on Friday that'll be coming up at 11:10 this morning. So Jim Jordan at 9:35, Jack Windsor at 11:10 and we've got a lot of work to do today. Before we get started with our top story of the day, I'm going to ask you to rise as the patriot that you are, face the flag that I'm certain you have visible to you. And if you don't, let's work on that. It's okay. Doesn't have to be an actual flag. Picture of a flag on the screen of your cell phone works postage stamp stuck on a dashboard. I love that. That's how this whole thing started. Love that. Postage stamp stuck on a dashboard because a guy told me he was in the car whenever we did our pledge every day between 9 and 9.30. And he couldn't do the Pledge of Allegiance to a flag that he didn't have. So he took a postage stamp of an American flag and stuck it to his dashboard. And that's what he looks at when we do our pledge every day. I love it. So for all of you who are finding a way to put that flag in front of you, thank you. And if you don't, that's all right. Close your eyes. Imagine old glory and let's say our Pledge of Allegiance anyway. If you are a believer in the White House and the federal government colluding with big pharmaceutical companies like the drug cartel known as Pfizer to lie, cheat, and steal in order to keep billions of dollars coming in at the peril of the people of the United States of America. Well, then you don't believe in freedom or that flag anyway. You are exempted from the request to pledge your allegiance to it. You may instead take a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback. As for the rest of us... I pledge
0: allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All
2: right, friends. Yeah, you can imagine. Anytime I lead into the Pledge of Allegiance, I try to tie it into the lead story of the day. Elon Musk um, is a an American hero. Technically, he's a South African-American hero, right? Hyphenated America, everybody has their... Uh, particularly if it's a... Uh, Racial minority by way of skin color, we got to make sure we identify if it's a Hispanic American or an African American. All right, Elon Musk is South African American. Anyway, this South African American hero um, is doing the work that we needed him to do, Uh, and he has spent his own money doing it—forty-four billion of his own dollars—to open to buy Twitter, to open Twitter, and to now expose Twitter. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the Twitter files. From the Twitter files, the most recent and most, well, probably as damning as anything else we have found, including the federal government uh, working with big tech and with uh, uh, Twitter to silence the voices of individuals and organizations, including uh, press organizations, media, that uh, disagree with their narrative. Uh, this is as bad as that. This is big pharma collaborating and coordinating with Twitter to force shots to continue to be jammed into the arms of people oftentimes at their peril. And the numbers are staggering. The number of people who have suffered serious adverse effects or events from these MRNA experimental vaccines, this gene therapy that they have forced people to take to keep their jobs, to go to school, to do, to stay in the military, whatever. Um, They didn't care what it was doing to them. What they did care about was keeping the money flowing. Alex Berenson has been one of the lead reporters, which is why he was banned by Twitter, at the direction of some of the leaders of Pfizer, as well as the federal government. But Alex Berenson has continued to expose this using the Twitter files. And now he has come out with maybe one of the most important, if not the most important, information so far. On August 27th of 2021, right in the middle of the second year of COVID, Dr. Scott Gottlieb, a Pfizer director with 550,000 Twitter followers, saw a tweet he didn't like. A tweet that might hurt the sales of Pfizer's mRNA vaccine. It's not a vaccine. I've been calling it a profit shot or a profit jab or a poison dart for two and a half years now. But if I slip and say vaccine, it's because I'm quoting Alex Berenson. The tweet that he saw explained correctly that natural immunity for COVID infection was superior to vaccine protection. So this tweet called for the White House to follow the science and exempt people with natural immunity from any upcoming vaccine mandates. Now, it didn't come from an anti-vaxxer that the left hates like Robert F. Kennedy Jr., but it comes or came from Dr. Brett Girard the physician who had briefly followed Gottlieb as the head of the FDA. Further, the tweet actually encouraged people who did not have natural immunity from becoming infected and and, and recovering from it to get vaccinated. didn't matter. By suggesting that some people might not need COVID vaccinations, the tweet could raise questions about the shots. Dr. Scott Gottlieb from Pfizer declared, besides being a former FDA commissioner, and a CNBC uh, contributor, and a prominent voice on COVID public policy, Godlieb was also a senior board member at Pfizer, which depended on, on mRNA jabs for almost half of its, you ready, $81 billion in sales in 2021. Now, I think it should go without saying, you don't need to have a sales department at your pharmaceutical company if everyone in America, by government order, is told to take the shot. You don't need sales department. Why do you want to hand out commissions? It's all pure profit if everybody has to take your product. Nonetheless, Pfizer paid Gottlieb $365,000 for his work that one year. So Gottlieb steps in seeing Brett Giroir's uh, tweet. Telling people that if you are vaccinated, or excuse me, if you are already, um, uh, uh, if you have natural immunity because you've already been infected, you are better than vaccines. You don't need them. Soon as Gottlieb saw that, he stepped in and told Ted O'Boyle, a top lobbyist at Twitter's Washington office, who was also Twitter's point of contact with the White House, to take it down. The post Gottlieb wrote was corrosive. He worried that it would end up going viral and driving news coverage. Translation, he worried that people would see, look at that, Brett Girard, the former FDA commissioner, Brett Girard, a a respected doctor and epidemiologist, said that if you have natural immunity, if you've already had COVID and recovered from it, it is stronger, you are more protected against another infection than you would be if you got the vaccine, you don't need the vaccine. Well, we can't have that. That's going to cost us shots. That's going to cost us product. That's going to cost us sales. That's going to cost us part of our billions. I found the email, said Alex Berenson, in a search of records I ran at Twitter. Part of Elon Musk's Twitter files to raise the veil on censorship decisions that Twitter made before Musk bought the company in October. I went into detail about my involvement at the Twitter Files in a Substack article, which I'm looking at right now. Through JIRA, an internal system that Twitter used for managing complaints, O'Boyle forwarded Gottlieb's email to the Twitter strategic response team. That group was responsible for handling the concerns from the company's most important employees and users. Please see this report from the former FDA commissioner, O'Boyle wrote, failing to mention that Gottlieb wasn't just a former FDA commissioner, he's a current Pfizer board member with a financial interest in pushing these mRNA darts on people. Twitter wound up flagging Giraud's tweet, putting a misleading tag on it, and preventing almost anyone from seeing it. It remains tagged, even though several large studies have confirmed the truth of Brett Giraud's. Words. It is now clear that COVID-19 natural immunity is superior to vaccine immunity by a lot, Girard wrote. There's no science justification for vax proof if a person had a prior infection. At CDC director and at POTUS must follow that science. If no previous infection, get vaccinated. See, so he wasn't even saying don't get vaccinated under any circumstances, which I would be saying. He said that if you have already been infected with COVID, you're good. You are much more protected than you would be by, quote, a lot if you had one of the darts. And yet they censored it anyway. This is direct proof of the collusion between the White House and the federal government, big pharmaceutical companies with billions upon billions of dollars on the line, and big tech to allow the poisoning of America. To allow the experimentation on a massive population, in fact, beyond America, worldwide, a massive experimentation with mRNA gene therapy to see what would happen and to make billions while doing it. This is reality, and this is out now, thanks to Elon Musk, thanks to the Twitter files, and thanks to Alex Berenson. I'll have more on this as the program goes on, but we'll take our time out now, we'll get to the news, and then we'll talk to Jim Jordan. we got a lot for you this morning. Settle in, get your coffee, put your feet up, put the radio way far away from you so you're not tempted to change it. You want to stay here all day on AM 1420 The Answer. Life.
0: Liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Always Right Radio with Bob Franz on The Answer.
2: 936 now, Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Good Wednesday morning to you. Appreciate you being with us. Um, Before we get to him live, I want to give you a little piece here of uh, what Congressman Jim Jordan had to say yesterday. Uh, That's unfortunate. Let's try this one more time here. Mm -hmm.
4: The Judiciary Committee is in the press today saying we're going to fight this tooth and nail. This is political. But meanwhile, the former Democrat chair of the Intelligence Committee pressured Twitter to censor a journalist. You've got to be kidding me. That This is the most important. This is about the First Amendment, something you guys used to care about. And I'd actually hoped we could get bipartisan agreement on protecting the First Amendment, the five rights we enjoy as Americans under the First Amendment. Your right to practice your faith, your right to assemble, right to petition the government, freedom of press, freedom of speech. Every single one's been attacked in the last two years.
2: And of course, it's asking way too much. It's expecting way too much of Democrats to actually care about the First Amendment and the Bill of Rights. Joining us now is, for the very first time, I get to introduce him as the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, Congressman Jim Jordan. Good morning, Congressman. How are you, sir?
4: I'm fine, Bob. How are you today?
2: I'm good. I'm gonna have to i I've been calling you Congressman for so long. Sometimes I refer to you as the ranking member of the Judiciary Committee. I'm to get used to saying Mr <laughs> Chairman. Uh because uh this is important. This is important. Uh let's start, Mr. Chairman, with that because um what the left did when they when they uh you know when you voted to create this obviously this select subcommittee on the weaponization of the federal government against the people uh against uh, uh parents against uh, uh voters and 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 beyond They said they called this a ploy, and that was what you were responding to there. Yeah. Some are calling this revenge. This is revenge for Donald Trump, for everything that has been done to Donald Trump. And you want to target the Department of Justice with this select subcommittee on weaponization because that Department of Justice is about to indict Donald Trump, and they're going to hold him accountable, and so you're going to try to cut the legs out from underneath them. Please give us your response to those Democrats.
4: No, it's just not true. Uh, This is driven by, uh, I'll give you three quick examples. The uh, Department of Justice targeted parents, treated them as terrorists uh, for simply going to school board meetings and speaking up for their sons or daughters. The FBI paid Twitter $3 million to censor conservatives. I mean, they were paying a private tech firm to, to limit what the American people could see. And then, of course, the Department of Homeland Security tried to set up was gonna set up, but for people like you and others around the country saying this is crazy, that we're trying to set up a disinformation governance board because, you, you know, the, the left thinks that some government agency should decide what's allowed to be said and what's not allowed to be said. That's not what the First Amendment is about. So that's, those are the, and then of course, on top of all that, dozens, dozens of FBI agents have come to us as whistleblowers and told us what's going on in the FBI. So that's why we're doing this. And then if you step back, finally, the last piece is just American. The American people have common sense. So if you got common sense, you step back and look and ask yourself: Is there a double standard? Did they treat Hillary Clinton's classified document issue different than they treated President Trump's? Are they treating Joe Biden's classified a document issue that we just learned of two days ago? Are they treating it different than President Trump's? So when you step back and look at the double standard, that's what we—that's what we want to get to the bottom of. Get all the facts on the table so we can stop it from happening in the future.
2: Yeah, and it is extraordinarily important for all of the reasons uh, that you just uh, outlined. And that, of course, is why they oppose it so vehemently, because they cannot have uh, the truth exposed about double standards and 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 so on. So um, the weaponization subcommittee is extraordinarily important, as is the Judiciary Committee itself. Now, I've asked you uh, since, you know, the midterms, and we found out even though it's not the size of majority that we wanted, it is going to be a majority. And you were going to yeah. elevate eventually to the Judiciary Chair. Um I asked you what you can get done. And, and I want to ask you again with a little bit of a challenge here. And it's not from me, but I had a guest on last week who admires you. Uh, and we were talking about the direction, uh, you know, with the, with the Republican controlled Congress. And he said, Jim Jordan thinks he's going to be able to go in there uh, with investigative power subpoena power and oversight power and all of this stuff and roll up his sleeves and get all of these people held accountable. And at the end of the day, he's not going to be able to do anything. That the, the, the deck is so stacked against you, even though you have the majority in this, in this, uh, Congress. That the deck is so stacked against you, you're not going to be able to hold the people accountable that need to be enough to make changes in the way these things are done. So I told him, you know, I said, you know what? I hope you're wrong. I said to my guest, but I'll ask him about it. What is your level of optimism that, you know, your, your goals, which are admirable and ambitious are achievable, Congressman?
4: Well, to the extent that anyone may have done something that, 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 criminal, uh, you know, violate some, some statute or something, then then that obvious, obviously has to be done by the Justice Department itself so that we, we can't prosecute anyone. We're not saying we're going to or we need to. All we're saying is we want to get the facts. Um, but, yeah, we do anticipate that there will be pushback from the administration. It will be tough to get the information we want. But the, the I think the one thing we, we look at that I think can be really helpful is the fact that we've had... Dozens of whistleblowers come forward, so we're going to start with those individuals, get their full story. Hopefully, get many of those uh, individuals willing to um, be deposed, give it to us under oath. That'll that'll help us get more information when we can then go talk to other folks, ask for other documents, and and so that's how you do these these investigations, and that that's what we uh, that's what that's how we plan to operate. So yeah, we know it's not going to be easy, <coughs> but I always point out, and you know, this Bob. Uh, tell me something worthwhile in life that's ever easy. It's just that's just that's just the way the good Lord made it. So we will do our due diligence. We will work as hard as we can, but um, we, we know there's going to be all kinds of pushback. And then in the end, I do anticipate um, what we learn. We will make recommendations for changes to the law, changes to to to, to how things operate at the Justice Department, and the FBI. I do anticipate that. That's uh, after all, that's our job. We're legislators, so I anticipate getting to that point too. But we got to go through the first before we can decide. And, and, and determine what needs to be changed.
2: Last question, Congressman uh, and Mr. Chairman on the Weaponization uh, Subcommittee and some of the things you just talked about. You know, We have seen evidence of the FBI colluding with big tech. We've seen evidence of the White House colluding with big tech, telling them what they want up and what they don't want up. Uh, the latest Twitter files drop, and uh, Alex Berenson reported on this yesterday in a massive Twitter thread and yep. a Substack article, is that Big Pharma, uh, Pfizer, the company, of course, that the federal government is paying billions upon billions of dollars to to provide these shots for Americans uh, that, they, that they demanded and mandated, quite frankly. Pfizer yep. also was part of the collusion. They were working with the White House and with Big Tech and Twitter, pre-Elon Musk Twitter, telling them when you get people like uh, Dr. Brett Giroir questioning the, the effectiveness of the shots and declaring that natural immunity is far superior to our uh-huh. mRNA uh-huh. Vac- vaccine immunity, Uh, you know, uh, we need you to we need you to take that stuff down, and Twitter dutifully complied. How dangerous is that?
4: Very big tech, big government, big pharma colluding to keep information from the American people. That's not what you want either. So this is scary. And and think of the specific example. You had Doctor Gottlieb, who used to work in the government, uh, working for then leaving and working for uh, big pharma, working for Pfizer, contacting Twitter and saying, uh, "Hey, what what the former." Uh, number two at HHS, Dr. Jawa was saying about natural immunity. We need to we need to suppress that. That's scary stuff. Like what? What are you talking, to? Dr. Jawa? We've had him testify numerous times. Skilled, I mean, an amazing individual. Uh, uh, and and he's saying what? Frankly, I think all of us know their natural immunity is a, is a once you have it, that's a good thing. Uh, so, but, but but you have the guy from Pfizer saying Do what, we want to suppress that, downplay that. Uh, is there some financial interest there? Sure appears to be so. Is well, that the motivation for his making that statement? Is, is that his motivation? Sure sure looks like it could be. So th- that is a that is a problem. Um, again, the American people are smart. They see see how this has been has how how this has played out the last two years. And that's why we're again, that's one of the many reasons why this committee has been formed and why we're gonna vigorously, aggressively, in a way that's consistent with the constitution, though, do our work.
2: You know, it's just so important to point this out. First of all, Twitter, when they passed that request from Gottlieb around, they didn't refer to him as what he is now, which is a Pfizer director who has a serious yep. financial stake in this. They referred to him as former FDA head, uh, Dr. Yep. Scott Gottlieb. So they tried to, to establish his, his creds, you know, his credentials in that way. And and just, just to underscore this, the, the official start date of COVID, you know, as we understand, it was around March of 2020. This all happened in August of 2021. Millions upon millions upon millions of Americans had already been infected and would thus already have the natural immunity that Dr. Yep. Joua wanted everybody to know was far superior by, quote, a lot to any one of these mRNA vaccines, which by that time we knew did not prevent infection anyway. <laughs> but um, yeah. So so millions, and so what does that mean? That means that millions and millions of people weren't going to get first shots, second shots, third shots, fourth boosters, and so forth from yep. Pfizer. So it was going to cost them billions for Joua to be able to tell people that, and that and that's this, why they silenced it and that's that's And you got to look
4: at no well said and, and and the broader context is this is this is it, 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 you know uh, including all the other things they said that were not accurate i mean they said you know eco health well, wasn't our tax dollars that went to the to the to the uh, to the lab in China. Yes, it was. It was a gain-of-function research. Yes, it, it sure looks like it was. It didn't the lab did it it didn't come from the lab? Well, it sure looks like that 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 happened as well. Uh, mm-hmm. The lab wasn't up to code over there. I mean, unbo- EcoHealth didn't comply with their grant requirements. They knew all these facts and never told us any of that, but just kept pushing their narrative, and, and including all the way to what we just described here with Dr. Gottlieb pushing the narrative that you still needed to get the shots even if you've already had COVID and developed natural immunity.
2: Representative Jim Jordan is our guest. He's now the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. Last time we spoke last week, the fight was still going on uh, now that it's over. Congressman Jordan, what kind of speaker will Mr. McCarthy be while wearing what Matt Gates described as a, uh, I forgot the adjective he used to describe the straitjacket, something about an incredibly structured or constructed straight jacket. But with all of the concessions he made, what kind of speaker can and will he be?
4: Well, I think first of all, I think it'd be a good speaker. Uh, the um, um, even the rules concessions and those—remember, those were designed. I, mean, I said this Sunday: uh, the the rules package is designed to to help us stop that that crazy 1.7 trillion dollar monstrosity of a piece of legislation that passed what 17, 18 days ago. Uh, that's what that's what those the rules package is designed to do. Uh, I, I think Leader McCarthy has done. I think about Republican leaders that that I've been worked with here in, in Congress. No one has reached out to the conservatives and empowered more conservatives in the conference, and frankly worked with the entire conference, all the Republicans, like you're supposed to in the legislative body. No one has done it better than than, than uh, Speaker McCarthy. So I do think we can get the things done we need to, even in the environment we're in, where the Senate is controlled by the Democrats and Joe Biden's going to be. I think. Uh, I guess if I say it nice, reluctant to go along with this, the, the the changes that we want to make that we think are good for the country. But I do think Leader McCarthy is going to be a good speaker and be able to uh, continue to bring our team together to focus on what what we told the country we were going to do. Uh,
2: Mr. Chairman, I, I want to ask you, and please allow me a moment of cynicism. Um, it, it's it won't last forever, but just, I have to ask it this way: Why would Mister McCarthy, Speaker McCarthy, now? Um, why would he see these as concessions? Why wouldn't these be things he completely endorsed and agreed with from the beginning? Why would he? Why would he not automatically like long before we had a stalemate and we had these twenty holdouts? Why wouldn't he be before establishing uh, single single issue uh, ballots? Uh, why wouldn't he before uh, you know having a vote on term limits? Why wouldn't he before uh, you know seventy two hours to read a bill before it can be voted upon? All of these things that have been termed concessions, did he have to give in in order to get the speakership? Why wouldn't those have already been just? Yeah, this is what we believe in as yeah. conservatives. No,
4: I think I think. Uh, you know, you're right. We all we all do believe in these things. We all want to get a vote on these things. I think uh, uh, Speaker McCarthy does as well. Uh, I, I think sometimes when you're stepping into a to a new job, you want uh, you want as much flexibility as possible because there, you know, maybe he's thinking there may be a time where you where you you have to push something quick and you don't want to have the full seventy two hours. and You want to be able to go there. I, I get all that, but I do think the structure and the and the rules which give us the discipline uh, to do things in, in a way I think that's advantageous for the country. I think it's all good. But it could have been just just that that, that basic. That. What I do know is we have the package. We have uh, uh, Speaker McCarthy in place. I think he's going to do a great job, and um, we're going to we're going to work together now. And here's the bottom line: we got a four seat majority. You have to work together. Someone asked me, like, do you really think you're going to work together? I said, we're going to work together because we have to work together. There's no other way to get anything done. Uh, so. Uh, I think we all understand that. It's something I've been talking about for a long time, like whatever difference – I said this on the House floor – whatever differences exist between – I think I used my my colleague from our own state there – differences between Jordan and Joyce, pale in comparison between the differences in, in Republicans and the left, which now controls the Democrat Party. So let's just understand that, guys, and let's figure out how we can stick together to do the things that are good for the country, good for families, and address the problems that have all been created in the last few years.
2: We're talking to a chairman of the uh, uh, Judiciary Committee in the United States House of Representatives, Jim Jordan. So, Speaker McCarthy promised the first vote would be to defund the 87,000 IRS agents. It was done. That's a great thing. Biden immediately said, don't even bother, even if this somehow got through the Senate, I'm going to veto this. Is there any way to stop it?
4: Well, in the end, the way to stop it is uh, on the appropriations process. So, uh, when we go through the... I always point out, and I know you know this and your listeners know this, but it's I think it's always important to kind of go back to the basics here. The founders wanted the House of Representatives to be the body closest to the people, and that's why every two years you know, voters get a chance to throw us all out. That's a good, healthy thing. And they also wanted that body, if there was going to be one of the separate and equal branches of government that was a little more equal, it was supposed to be the legislature, and it was supposed to be the House, the body closest to the people, and that's why they said that's the body the one that has to go in front of the people every two years that's the body where spending and tax bills have to start so that's the body that ultimately has the most say on how we spend the people's money so in the end if we're going to be able to make real change it's going to be on the appropriations process and we we it's important we develop a whole new strategy on how we deal with that pass all 12 bills and then say to the senate we're not going to we're not going to wait on you to send us some big 1.7 trillion monstrosity of a bill um you deal with our bills individually, and then the, we'll have the debate that we have, we'll, we'll go back and we'll have conferences like you're supposed to. and in the end, if we can't get anything, then I'm willing to just spend what we 're spending right now, because I know that will save us money. that would be the biggest savings we've ever seen if instead of increasing government spending like we always do, we spend what we're spending uh, at that at current level. So I think that's the strategy that we're going to put in place, um, and I think it makes a lot of sense.
2: Yeah, I, oh, it does, uh, and and they won't like that one bit. Uh, a couple more no, quickies, Congressman uh, Congressman Jim Jordan, you you drew some heat this week uh, and and last week. I can't remember when all of your speeches have been, and you draw heat all the time, every day, because you're an effective leader. Uh, but this particular time. Uh, you talked about cuts, spending cuts. You talked about cuts to defense spending and said that must be on the table. Uh, in fact, you said everything has to be on the table, which of course led people to the entitlement programs that are the biggest drains uh, on the uh, well, not you couldn't call them drains, uh, but the biggest, uh, most most uh, costly uh, parts of of uh, of our of our budget. Uh, and then, of course, Social Security and Medicare. So, when people say, "Whoa, whoa, whoa," you're talking about cuts to everything being on the table. You can't make us weaker militarily, and you can't take away entitlements. Can you explain that?
4: Well, we shouldn't. We shouldn't. We shouldn't do anything to take away from Social Security. I mean, that's a, that's a promise that that the government's made to its citizens. It's your money. <laughs> it's not the government's money, for goodness' sake. One of the people around this place should remember: it's the people's money. And and so, so you, you don't want to. No way do you want to cut anything in Social Security. Uh, but When it comes to all the other discretionary spending we have, for goodness sake, Bob, we got a 30-some trillion dollar debt. The interest payment this year to service that debt is going to be like 500, 600 billion dollars. So when you're spending as much on, on, on interest payment as we all, almost as much as we spend on, on national defense, like something, we've got to look at everything. And what I've said is maybe if we got our general officer uh, ratio, uh, ratio of general officers to enlisted, back where it needs to be, so you don't have so many so many uh you know, generals and and then 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 and and, 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 and uh, compared to the number of 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 infantry and enlisted folks. Uh and maybe if we got rid of all the woke stuff, we'd have enough money to make sure we could give our troops a pay raise, we could have the weapon systems we need. And all I'm saying is you gotta put it you got to look at all of that when you got when you got a situation like we now have. Because if you don't and you have to start borrowing more and more and then you get in this downward spiral where the, the interest payments just keep increasing, you can't get out of it. And that, that's when really bad things happen economically into people's savings and everything else. So let's start, let's start turning this around in the right direction and showing that we're making some progress. That will help our economy in a big way.
2: Well, 500 to $600 billion in interest payments to service that, service that debt just this year. Now you know why they want 87,000 more IRS agents to squeeze every single cent of all of that out of the American people, and not just yeah. America's wealthiest. We know that it doesn't take yeah. 87,000 yeah, people to, to talk to 200 billionaires. Um, last one for you, Congressman. How important is this new Select Committee on China? And why do you think, and I know it overwhelmingly passed uh, uh, on a bipartisan yeah. basis, but still 65 Democrats said, no, leave China alone. How on <laughs> earth can anybody make it, you know, justify such yeah. a thing? I mean, this is clearly our, our most grave threat militarily, economically, geopolitically. There's no question yeah. about it. Um, what do you expect that this Select Committee can get done?
4: Well, I think I think first of all, educating the country on just how serious it is, I think, you've got to be part of it. Um, I think the country has figured out that we had a president, in President Trump, who stood up to China. We have a president now who who doesn't seem to. Uh, I think there's weakness projected from this administration. But we know China doesn't adhere to international trade norms. We know they're trying to spy on us. This whole TikTok issue is 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 I think big. Uh, we we know they steal intellectual property from from our our companies, our business owners, our entrepreneurs. Uh, so there are all kinds of bad things they do. And remember, it wasn't that long ago, you know, 15, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, when we were saying, oh, bring China into the mainstream, let them, let them participate in all the, the, the big economic forums and everything else, and they will they will move our direction when it comes to freedom and, and democracy. Uh, and that hasn't happened. They've grown, they've become an economic power, but they're just as communist, just as anti-freedom as, as they were uh, 30 years ago. So uh, I think it's a change in the mindset. It started with President Trump. Uh, but you're seeing it with House Republicans as well, and that's why there's a committee focused on making sure the whole country understands just how serious this problem is and then what we can do to combat it.
2: Mr. Chairman, the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, Jim Jordan, joining us this morning. Congressman, it's a pleasure as always. I'm so glad to know that you are on the case and on the job. Thank you for covering so many topics with us. We appreciate that very much. Uh, We look forward to you getting your work started on that committee and also on the weaponization subcommittee, and we will talk to you again next week great thanks bob take care thank you sir that's the chairman of the house judiciary committee we've got him once a week we're very fortunate to have access to such an important person in such an important position as we look to try to slam the brakes on this runaway train toward marxism that the democrats have put us on jim jordan is uh, is on the right side 957 right back
1: You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness.
0: Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob Franz on AM 1420, The Answer.
2: Uh, Hour number two underway now at nine minutes past ten o'clock. Being with us on Always Right Radio. Thanks again to Chairman Jim Jordan, Chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. Uh, I was informed after the fact that we had an EAS test, which is, of course, out of our control, emergency uh, alert system, and it may have cut off part of the Jordan interview toward the end. I don't know exactly when or where, but I do know that it happened. So, if you missed part of the program or part of the interview because of that, and you want to hear it, you can, of course, listen to it in podcast form on uh, WHKradio.com, WHKradio.com. It is Wednesday, the 11th morning of the first month, the year of our Lord, 23, uh, 23. We're going to talk to Jack Windsor coming up in an hour. This hour is yours. It is guest-free. So this is an opportunity for you to be heard on all of these issues, and there are so many of them. I've got a lot of very important things that we want to discuss, uh, but you can uh, you can direct that uh, direct that conversation at you, as you see fit when you dial two one six nine zero one zero nine four five. Meantime, I want to go back to the stop, uh, top story of the day that I started in the uh, beginning of the nine o'clock hour, and that is um, the ongoing conspiracy to jam as much poison into the arms of as many people as humanly possible for profit. And I'm sorry, that's what I'm going to call them, poison darts. I have kind of gone back and forth between profit jabs, to profit shots, because it's always been about profit. It's never been about health. Have you ever thought that Pfizer and Moderna and AstraZeneca, Johnson & Johnson, but particularly the mRNA producers, have you ever thought they cared about people and were trying to respond to the outbreak of a virus that could kill people? Oh my gosh, we want to save lives. If you didn't think from the very beginning that this was cha-ching, cha-ching, it's like a cartoon. The CEO and every board member of Pfizer, their eyes opened wide and little dollar signs appeared. Cha-ching, cha-ching. That's exactly what this has been about from the beginning. I have described Pfizer as being more dangerous as a drug cartel than the Sinaloa cartel. And I stand by that. Why? Why? Because unlike Pfizer, the Sinaloa cartel doesn't have a license to push their drugs. They actually run the risk of being arrested, of being locked up, maybe even being killed in the course of dealing their drugs. Pfizer does it, well, not only with the approval of the American government, they actually do it while being paid by the American government. So going back to the Twitter files coverage yesterday, by Alex Berenson, discussing, as I talked about with Jim Jordan, an August 2021 tweet by Brett Giroir, a physician who was once the head of the Food and Drug Administration, an extraordinarily well-respected and well-regarded physician. He sent out a tweet in August of 2021 that said, you know, um, COVID, or let me just read it to you directly. It's now clear that COVID 19 natural immunity is superior to hashtag vaccine immunity by a lot, which he capitalized. There's no science justification for the vax proof if a person had prior infection. At CDC director and at POTUS must follow the science. If no previous infection, get vaccinated. That's pretty simple, right? His message was, if you have already been infected, and tens of millions have already been infected by that point, remember, COVID started in March of 2020, we were told. Many people believe it actually started toward the end of 2019, but there we go, which is perhaps why the name given it was COVID-19. But let's just go with March of 2020. By August of 2021, millions upon millions of people already been infected and thus had the superior natural immunity that Brad Jarrah talked about. That means millions upon millions of people wouldn't be going to get second shots or first shots or third shots or fourth shots. And Pfizer was going to lose those sales. So Brad Jarrah made that tweet. And then Dr. Scott Gottlieb, who used to also be the head of the FDA, like Joao, but now is a profiteer working for Pfizer. He's on the board of directors, gets $365,000 a year advising Pfizer. He contacted Twitter and said, you can't let this go out there. This might make the news cycle. This is going to harm our ability to make money. And how much money are we talking about? I told you in the 9 o'clock hour. In the year 2021, Pfizer made $81 billion, and the mRNA jabs accounted for about half of that just in 2021. They made over $40 billion in 2021 alone, and they are ter- were terrified of losing some of that money by people like Dr. Jawa bringing, you know, science and medicine into this discussion. We can't have that. No way. So they got Twitter to limit the reach of that tweet and to put a flag on it, which they did, that said, misleading. Learn why health officials recommend a vaccine for most people. Wait, what? Learn why health officials recommend a vaccine? This was by a health official. Dr. Brett Jawa, what do you mean? And then it said, this tweet can't be replied to, shared, or liked. In other words, they made it impossible for anybody to see it. About a week later, Gottlieb tried to strike again, says Alex Berenson, complaining to uh, O'Boyle, who is the Twitter contact, about a tweet from Justin Hart, who is a lockdown and COVID vaccine skeptic with more than 100,000 Twitter followers. Hart had written simply, Sticks and stones may break my bones, but a viral pathogen with a child mortality rate of less than 0% has cost our children nearly three years of schooling. That's it. That's it. A viral pathogen with a child mortality rate of zero has cost our children nearly three years of schooling. Why Gottlieb objected to those words is not clear, as Alex writes, but the Pfizer shot would soon be approved for children ages 5 to 11, representing another massive market and billions more dollars for Pfizer if parents could be convinced that COVID was a real threat to their kids. So well, Boyle at uh, Twitter referred this to former FDA uh, referred to uh, former FDA commissioner Gottlieb rather when he forwarded that report again onto uh, others in Twitter in the uh, compliance department. This time though, Gottlieb's complaint was so far afield that Twitter refused to act on it. At the same time, Gottlieb was also pressing Twitter to act against Alex Berenson himself because he disclosed on Substack uh, uh, or as he exposed on uh, exposed on Substack. Uh, that he was drawing on documents that Twitter's pre-must regime provided to him as part of the lawsuit against it. Gottlieb's action was part of a larger conspiracy, which included the Biden White House, as well as Andrew Slavitt working publicly and privately to pressure Twitter until it had no choice but to ban Alex Berenson. So the morning after he wrote the article on this, Gottlieb appeared on CNBC to say, you know, that's not what this was about. Um We're just worried because, um, you know, exposing all of this stuff could could lead to violence against Pfizer executives and others. In an interview with Joe Kernan on CNBC, Gottlieb said he had asked Twitter to act only because he was concerned if tweets raised the threat of violence against vaccine advocates. The inability of these platforms to police direct threats, physical threats about people, that's my concern for what's going on in that ecosystem, Gottlieb said. So I'm going to stop and go back now. He argued that he was concerned about people being targeted for being vaccine supporters because of people saying that the vaccines don't work or maybe the vaccines aren't as effective or whatever. But let's go back. Go back to doctor Brad Jawa's tweet. Where is there any threat or any call for action or violence against anybody who's a vaccine supporter? It simply says natural immunity is far superior to vaccine immunity, but by the way, if you don't have natural immunity, go get vaccinated. There's no threat. He's not concerned about violence. Pfizer's concerned about money and nothing more. Gottlieb is not just a Pfizer board member. He's on the executive committee and the head of its regulatory and compliance committee. Pfizer has a long history of violating drug industry laws and ethics rules. In 2009, they agreed to pay $2.3 billion, the largest health care fraud settlement in American history history, for fraudulently marketing several drugs. So they have a history of pushing drugs that have questionable efficacy, questionable safety, all for, what did I say it was, $81 billion in profit in 2021. And they're willing to continue to lie to people in order to keep making that money no matter what it does to people. No matter how many athletes drop over dead or with cardiac arrest on playing fields, pitches, courts, and more. No matter how many people are, are die of massive blood clots when they had no indication of clotting whatsoever prior to being given the profit jabs, or poison darts, if you will. The number of people suffering actual paralysis after getting the shots. The number of people suffering from palsy after getting the shots. The number of people suffering from myocarditis after getting the shots. Now let me take that away from Alex Berenson's Twitter files report to an article written by Daniel Horowitz, our good friend from uh, uh, the Conservative Review and The Blaze. Daniel Horowitz yesterday tweeted and linked to an article in Science Direct. And this says, So now even the FDA admits in a study that the shots increase the risk of pulmonary embolism by fifty-four percent, acute myocardial infraction—or I'm sorry, infarction—by forty-two percent, blood clotting by ninety-one percent, and platelet, uh, platelet disorder by forty-four percent. Yet, unlike any other drug that is marketed, that information does not have to be included in their ads. Because you remember what the COVID poison dart ads said don't you the only two words you needed to know were safe and effective that's it those are the side effects safe and effective come and get your mrna shots now the only thing you need to know is that they're safe and that they're effective And oh, by the way, if our advertising doesn't convince you to come because of the safety and the effectiveness, then we'll employ mandates. Then we will make it a must-have for you to keep your job. If you work with a company that does any business whatsoever with the federal government, you are going to be covered under the federal employee mandate. And if you don't take your jab, you lose your job. If you work in the healthcare industry, you don't take the jab, you lose your job. You go to school in a college or university. You don't take the jab, you lose your place on campus. You must take remote classes. We can't have you and your germs infecting our campus. Never mind the fact that the jab leads to all of these extraordinary health conditions. Never mind that. We've got products to sell. We've got money to make. Safe and effective. Safe and effective. How many times do we see it? How many times do you see TV commercials for? Goodness gracious! I could. It's funny because I have the TV on during the day, uh, and I and they did just one. Particularly if you watch Fox, which I do a lot. If you um if you watch the commercials, and how many of the commercials that you see are for drugs? You know, whether, I mean, I, I consider in this list them all, whether it's for for um, diabetes, for psoriasis, for uh, uh, urinary uh, problems. I mean, it's just over and over and over. I mean, everywhere you go, for, for HIV, every single commercial that is there pushing some sort of drug on you for arthritis, for cardiac conditions, whatever it is, they push, 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 push these drugs, 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 and every single one of those commercials spends probably 60% of its time in their commercials on a 60-40 split-ish telling you about all of the potential side effects, all the bad things that could happen to you before they tell you again at the end. Ask your doctor if this drug is right for you based on all of those potential problems. Ask your doctor if this is right for you. But then the commercial will come on for the, uh, 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 the poison darts being pushed by Pfizer. And the commercials say nothing about myocardial infarction, pulmonary embolisms, blood clots, platelet, dis- platelet disorders, sudden cardiac arrest. None of those things happen. None of those things are included. All you see is, come and get this. It's safe and it's effective. This is, dare I say, and I'm not quoting, uh, this isn't my own line. I'm going to try to find the doctor who said this because I, I retweeted this uh, earlier this morning before we came on the air, and it's correct. Let me see if I can find this doctor real quick. Otherwise, I'm going to have to just uh, paraphrase it. Oh, you know what? I didn't retweet it. My apologies. I just liked it, so I've got to look at a different list here. There it is. Dr. Anastasia Marie Lupus, quote, This is the biggest scandal in all of medical history. I completely concur. I completely concur. She's from Denmark, by the way. So this is obviously not just an American problem. That's why she didn't say in American history. She said in all of medical history. And by the way, the link that she included to that tweet was to the story of a 12-year-old girl named Maddie DeGarry who volunteered to be one of the test subjects in a COVID vaccine study, or should I say was volunteered by their parents probably to get paid. She's 12, so she was she was volunteered by her parents. She would have to be to participate in this COVID vaccine study. She is now bound to a wheelchair and requires a feeding tube. So there's your answer. There's your answer to how these vaccines are affecting people. Aren't you glad you participated in that study? Quick time out now, 1024. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. 1027, Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Let's get a couple of phone calls before the bottom of the hour. If you don't get on before the bottom of the hour, it's okay. We are guest-free after the bottom of the hour as well, and we'll go right back to those calls. But the first one is going to come from Joe in Westlake. Hey, Joe, you're on AM 1420, the answer. Fire away, sir.
3: Good morning, Bob. Thank you for the details on this horrendous crime with these shots and myocarditis. I'd like to add that the Twitter story strongly appears to be a limited hangout to hide an even larger story. A limited hangout is when a government agent gives a partial truth to obscure an even larger truth. So what you're saying is very important and true, but there's a larger truth, which is that the perpetrators of this crime are not only pharma, but also the government itself. What pharma did in breaking so many regulations... And not reporting all the terrible effects and wrongly calling it safe and effective. That would have been impossible without deep government involvement. And that's explained by Catherine Watts and Sasha Lodipova. And that's what they're currently trying to cover up. The defense establishment ran this. It was not a normal drug trial. It's ongoing. And we need to find out why they chose to use a toxic protein in the shot. Thank you.
2: Well, you know what? Uh well said. Uh I appreciate that. And and there is a lot more to be uncovered. There's no question about that. There is um I've said this before. There's no way that anybody could have been named in 2022 Man of the Year uh, over Elon Musk. Elon Musk is the man of the decade. Elon Musk might be the man of the coming century if everything that we think we know behind what's going on at Twitter or was going on at Twitter and all of the parties involved from big pharma to big government, obviously, to big tech, all conspiring, including for profit. Um, this this may be and if they are able to blow the whistle on the biggest medical scandal in history, and I don't think that's hyperbole. I don't think that's over the top. If they are able to blow the whistle on that and expose the rest of the world to it, um, like I said, it might be man of the might be man of the century. Um, and I'm not trying to sit here and play you know publicist for Elon Musk. I don't need to. He's a multi billionaire a hundred times over. But I'll tell you this: um, what he's doing right now is a service to humanity. It's a service to humanity. And he's not a great person, by the way. He's got doing some other things that I think are detrimental to humanity, including uh, artificial intelligence that borders uh, with transhumanism. And it's very, very dangerous. But as it pertains to this, uh, we are learning much, much more about the nefarious goings-on behind the scenes at Twitter and thus in government that affects us all. So great call. Thank you, Joe. We'll c- come back and take more calls right after this.
0: Evening, the sleeping masses, and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer.
2: Onward, upward, 1037. Don't forget Jack Windsor in about a half an hour. Looking forward to talking about Ohio politics and some of the mess that continues to envelop Columbus and uh, the Ohio State House, particularly the Republican Party. So that's coming up at 1110. Hey, before I go back to the phones here, real briefly, I want to make an announcement. Uh, a new project that I'm involved in that I would very, very much uh, love to have your support for. Um, if you have cut the cord and you're all about streaming television anymore, like I have and millions upon millions upon millions of other people have, or even if you do still have regular cable or, uh, or satellite television, but you watch streaming television networks on your phone or on your tablet or on your computer, um, I'm going to tell you about True Blue. I'm uh, going today, as a matter of fact, about an hour after this show ends to start recording a new television program we'll be hosting on True Blue, which is called uh, True Blue true Blue Daily with Bob France. True Blue is a phenomenal, phenomenal um, streaming network um, or channel, if you will. Uh, it is dedicated to the criminal justice system. It is dedicated to law enforcement. It is dedicated to true crime stories. It's got some incredibly... Uh, important uh, and and well known figures that are a part of it. One of one of the shows that we're going to have on True Blue uh, is going to be called Police in the Line of Fire, hosted by Sheriff David Clark. Remember David Clark from Milwaukee, Milwaukee County. You probably have seen, like the rest of America, the Chris Hansen program uh, uh, or segment on NBC that he used to do called uh, To Catch a Predator, in which they would trap. Online predators who are trying to uh, uh, talk and groom young children into having sexual encounters with them, and then they show up for the sexual encounter only to find out that it was a trap, and Chris Hansen pops out. Well, that is still going on. Chris Hansen is still catching predators, except now it's called Takedown with Chris Hansen, and it's only on True Blue, uh, the True Blue ta- uh, 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 channel. So if you are into streaming videos, Iron Sheriff is another one with Sheriff Chris, Chris Swanson. Uh there's a ton of True Blue original programming in addition to generally speaking documentaries of of interest, they may not all be specific to the criminal justice system or 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 uh law enforcement, but they're they're related. Uh they're very very topical, very very uh uh specific to our our current day issues and culture, and that's what my program will do. I will be doing interviews with the directors of some of these movies. I will be talking to Chris Hansen. We will be featuring Takedown. We will be featuring uh, with Sheriff Clark uh, new episodes of In the Line of Fire, uh, as well as Iron Sheriff and others. It's going to be it's going to be great. I'm going to be offering my own commentary. I'll be giving you uh, some, some very, very important information and very insightful interviews with some of the uh, directors and actors involved in these uh, programs. Uh, I'm very excited for it. True Blue is already streaming. It's already got a tremendous library of programs, including my old Crime Stopper Case Files show. I used to do Crime Stoppers Case File. I actually cut Files. I actually won a couple of Emmy Awards with the program uh, back in 2010, 2011, that neighborhood. And uh those programs the uh the past programs are also available they're in the library you can watch those uh, we did Crime Stoppers case files in Northeast Ohio it was so successful it expanded to South Florida Southern California and Chicago and um this is this is the company that made it all happen and uh it is now producing true blue daily uh or excuse me now producing true blue true blue the streaming channel which is a subscription channel it's only 499 a month it's peanuts it's about a third of what netflix charges uh for example and uh i think you're going to enjoy it and uh we're going to start recording today we expect to have the first true blue blue daily events uh going uh, up on the channel as early as next week even so um uh, So it's a new project that I'm very, very excited about. If you are doing streaming television, you are going to want to download the app uh, for True Blue. It's very easily available on the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, and so forth. And look for True Blue Daily and yours truly hosting. And I'm very, very excited about that. As you know, I mean, I'm very passionate about law enforcement issues. I'm very passionate about the criminal justice system. And uh, this is just a great way to be a bigger part of that. So I hope you will tune in to True Blue. And make sure you subscribe to the channel. Derek is in uh, Richfield. Hey, Derek, you're on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Thanks for waiting. Go right ahead, sir.
5: Hey, good morning, Bob. Thank you. Um, so I just, you know, wanted to get your reaction on um, the announcement of the federal government uh, prioritizing you know, with all the other um, all the other issues going on that they're making uh, an announcement a priority of banning all manufacture of new gas stoves. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I saw that (laughs) they want to outlaw gas stoves because of course, because of course they are pushing electric everything. They want everything to be electric because of their, their, their green new deal nonsense. Uh, I did see that. Um, You know, I, I, it's one thing I, I, I remember about, I don't know uh, how long ago it was. uh, We had a, an electrical outage and um, people, people don't understand what, what, They're going to end up causing, even if it's unintentional, even if they're just completely oblivious to the capacity of the electric grid in a regular community, in a suburban community, in an urban community, in a rural community. The electrical grid cannot just meet every single time somebody plugs something into an outlet, it's all good. Everybody, uh, millions upon millions upon millions of gas stoves gone and replaced by electric uh, stoves. Millions upon millions upon millions of gasoline-powered engines replaced by electric cars. Uh, millions upon I mean, it just goes on and on and on. They want everything to be electric. They think that's somehow clean. And what they don't even understand, or at least they refuse to let people know about, which I'm sure you know about, Derek, is that you cannot get electricity without natural gas. Natural gas and coal provide eighty-five percent of the electricity that this country runs on every day. Yet they want to ban gas stoves so they can use more natural gas to provide more electricity. It, it's just so—it's so beyond frustrating. And and they—the worst part about it is, is they think we're stupid. They think we don't know these things. They—they—they they, they think we can't follow what's going on, Derek.
5: Right, and even uh, California, well by twenty thirty uh, they're going to ban in that state gas stoves even gas water heaters, too. So And again, a state that is having like these constant rolling brownouts and blackouts, they can't even keep power on to the people like some third-world country, and they, they don't have right their sustainable energy. They don't even have that set up. So why would they, uh, at, at least until you have things in place, why would you take away things right now? And, and well, and well the, worst, even, the worst part
2: about yeah. what you just said, though, is when you, you said you know they don't have the sustainable energy in place yet. And the reality is they'll never be able to have the sustainable energy. There there will never be enough solar panels and wind no. turbines to power the type of electrical grids that we have in this country, to replace coal, to replace natural gas, and obviously replace oil for the engines. Um, you know, they will, it'll never happen. It just can't happen. It won't happen. It's impossible. And uh, and and you're right, though. That's what they're saying is that while we work um, on renewable energies to make sure that it's you know what, what the wave of the future, they 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 don't want you to know that there will that day will never come.
5: Right. All all pie in the sky. All talk, and there will never be anything delivered. But but even just other like simple things you think about. What about service technicians? I mean, that's those jobs will be affected. Well, people that do use. Their, their homes or whatever heated by propane. Or why would they stop there? What about gas furnaces? Uh, the natural gas industry, obviously, they don't care about that. Um, even even uh, uh, you know, uh, like gas uh, tr- uh, fuel tanker tank truck drivers, all those things would just be affected. It's, uh, just uh, right. It, it is just insane. It's, it's like just incompetent. They don't care. They just want to shut everything down.
2: Well, no, you're you're 100 percent right. And, uh, you know, as well as I do, this is what they pledged the moment Joe Biden got into office.
6: When it comes to the gas prices, uh, we're going through an incredible transition that is taking place that God willing, when it's over, will be stronger and the world will be stronger and less reliant on fossil fuels when this is over
2: suffer, 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 because we won't have fossil fuels when all this is over. But what they're not telling you is that it is impossible to have renewable energy replace all of which fossil fuels provide us. You know it and I know it, but obviously they're going to continue to pull the wool over the eyes of the naive. Derek, anything else, buddy?
5: Um, uh, I mean, yeah, there's, there's always... yeah, there's- there always is, but yeah, that's all right. I, I didn't know if you—I didn't know
2: if you had another one teed up or not. So we'll—we'll uh, we'll let it go for this time. But call me back anytime you got something else. It's a great point that you just made. Uh, but remember, Biden declared a war on fossil fuels, and it's not just on the cars. It's not just on oil. It's on the entire fossil fuel industry. It is
6: noteworthy that the percentage of women who register to vote and cast a ballot is consistently higher than the percentage of the men who do so. End of quote. Repeat the line. Women are not without electoral and or political or or maybe precise, not and or or political power. That was
2: actually the wrong button, but it was still funny. (laughs) Repeat the line. Um, No, this is what I meant to say. This is, of course, the war that he declared.
6: You don't have to agree, but I want you to look in my eyes. I guarantee you, I guarantee you. We're going to end fossil fuel, and I am not going to cooperate with you, okay?
2: He did not say just oil. He said all fossil fuels, because digging into the earth and mining for coal is bad for the planet. Digging into the earth and fracking and exploring for natural gas and extracting it is bad for the planet. But he doesn't give a rat's A. About digging into the earth for cobalt he doesn't give a rat's a about digging into the earth for magnesium for I'm sorry man- manganese he doesn't d- care about digging digging into the earth for all of the the, 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 the the extraordinarily important components of an electric car engine or a car battery rather. There's more mining of the earth that's going to be need, that's going to need to be done if they advance this ridiculous green new deal policy globally worldwide there's going to be more of the earth that is damaged from digging into it and finding all of these necessary components of electric car batteries and to provide the electricity for the you know the, the the grids are going to have to be doubled, tripled, quadrupled, ten times the capacity when the whole world switches to electric cars. I they 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 are just so they're just so mind-numbingly stupid that they don't realize electricity doesn't come from you know a kite with a string on it. That might be how it was figured out and discovered, but that's not how it's not how it's provided. If you're waiting for lightning strikes to be able to charge your car, you've got a long wait coming for you. Otherwise, you're going to have to get electricity the old-fashioned way, through coal and through natural gas, which is used to power the electrical grids. And by the way, don't worry about the little children that you're sending down in Africa and in China into the mines to pull out these vital uh, components. Don't worry about them, because that's where most of these are they're in Africa, they're in Asia, not in North America so much which means we're going to have to be at the mercy of our of I don't say our enemies but of foreign governments, China is our enemy, but we're going to be at the mercy of foreign governments and foreign energy companies to sell us the products we need to build these, you know, billions of of gas or I mean of uh, electric uh, engine, uh, batteries for the for the electric vehicles. We're going to be at their mercy and they're going to continue to you know, violate uh, and abuse children by sending them down into these narrow mines in order to pull these things out. We've seen videos of it. We've seen documentaries on it. We've seen the horrors of it. Uh, but that's what they're going to continue to, expo- or to, uh, to exploit. Ah, BJ's in North Olmstead. Hey, BJ, thanks for waiting. You're on the air. Go ahead, sir.
7: Thank you, Bob. I had a very interesting experience yesterday. I met a group of the most wonderful people and the kindest and most affectionate people and they happen to be at WHK radio station. And I cannot tell you how impressed I was with their caring, their sharing. And it made me feel very, very good that you work for a network that has such marvelous people there. And I just had to tell you that on the air that I was so impressed by their affection and the way they showed me around the studio, and I enjoyed it so much.
2: What brought you, you to, to the studio, BJ? I, I, didn't, I didn't know about this. What brought you to the studio? I'm sorry? What brought you to the studio? Why? Did, how did you have occasion to be there and meet all the great people that we want? I,
7: I had a painting that I promised uh, Marcy, and I wanted to deliver it in person. And a friend of mine drove me there, and I got to meet them. And, and they were just so generous in showing me around the station and... Uh, And uh, I was so grateful that I had the chance to meet them. They are truly, remarkably warm, loving people, and uh, I wanted to make that known to you and, and the folks listening in on the air, And I, yeah. I thank them so much for their kindness. That is thank such you for a giving nice me that time, hear. Bob.
2: Yeah, you made my day on that. Thank you, BJ. I appreciate that. You're, you're 100% right. We only hire good people. We make it a – I think it's in the HR department. It says on the forum, you must be a good person. You must be a good, sincere, honest person who cares about other people uh, to work for Salem. Uh, and I'm being a little bit tongue-in-cheek when I say that, but it just works out that way. It just Maybe you're not even a good, good person when you get hired. But then when you get in there and get into that uh, wonderful environment in uh, that caring environment and that teamwork environment that we have, people just kind of naturally pick up those tendencies, and that's how they become. However it happens, you're right. We do have great people. We do have uh, caring people, and I'm so glad you were able to experience that. And thank you for saying so. That I guarantee you it didn't just make my day, but everybody listening in the offices right now, uh, you're making their day, too. BJ, thank you. God bless. It's 1052. More calls right after this on Always Right Radio. Okay, 10.56. Don't forget I've got Jack Windsor coming up at 11.10, right after the top of the hour news. Right now we have Joanne in Twinsburg. Hi, Joanne. Go right ahead.
8: Good morning, Bob. i got two things. The first thing is you promised you would ask Congressman Jordan about the January 6th prisoners, and you didn't.
2: So
3: I, have asked, no,
8: I,
2: I have asked him that question, not always I know, air, but yesterday but yeah.
8: you said, I'll ask him again tomorrow, and you didn't. And I was kind of curious to hear what he had to say. But second of all, I'm old enough to. Well, let me, if
2: I may, Joanne, if I may, because I have asked that question off the air uh, to him. Oh, I know. He is indeed, he is indeed uh, uh, considering exactly that as far as calling. I mean, they
8: just need to keep pounding it. I mean, they, if if McCarthy's got the ability to get them out, and he needs to do, they need to do something. Well, I don't know
2: that they're going to be able to get them out per se, but what they will put, pre- they will be able, if they call them before his committee, this is what the question was going to be that I asked or have asked him and I need to ask him on the air again too. But the question is, is will he call them before his committee to testify as witnesses before the judiciary committee about what's going on in those jail cells, prison cells, uh, the detention well, they're, facilities yeah, they're yeah. being held? That's, that's how we expose this to everyone. And that drums yeah. up more pressure on even Democrats, uh, to, to dispose of these cases one way or another that's that, that's what the goal is going to be
8: okay, okay. that's cool what but my other thing is you know we're talking about gas stoves mm-hmm. i'm old enough to remember and bj who just called i'm sure remembers i grew up in a home with a gas incinerator in the basement you know i was six years old and my mother was handing me a bag of trash and telling me to go down and put it in the incinerator and <laughs> hit the handle i mean they're talking safety issues and health issues and all the Oh, it's it's all crap.
2: <laughs> no, it is. It's all of the above. You're 100 percent right now. You're a you know, little I mean, bit predating me Trump on the incinerators. I didn't go up that the way. Kid but who
8: put this policy out there that they want to do this?
2: Yeah, you know, yeah. Trump yeah. is a
8: union dude.
2: Well, the safety stuff and they're talking about you know the the pollution of the air and everything else is just trash. It is just more of their I mean, effort too. Uh, Like I said, I know
8: you're younger than me, but I remember, you know, and I was a little kid. I mean, my grandparents had them in their basement.
2: And you're breathing that stuff in when you're down there.
8: (laughs) And the landfills were a lot better off back then, too.
2: Yeah. No, you're, 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 well, don't even talk about the landfills right now, because, you know, the things I just talked about, about digging into the earth for the cobalt, cobalt and the nickel and the manganese, all that stuff, all that stuff. All of those things, along with the wind turbines that they're building, those things, when they, uh, when they outlive their usefulness, they do not decompose. They are non-biodegradable. They can't be recycled. They're going to fill the landfills for, for decades to come until the landfills are totally uh, overrun, overflowing, and then they're going to do what with them, Joanne? Then, then they're, they're going to dump take them in to the ocean.
8: they take batteries and throw those into the ocean.
2: Yeah, exactly. They're going to dump it know. all into the ocean and then complain about what it's doing to water quality and what it's doing to sea life.
8: Right, exactly. Uh, I mean, they're all crazy. It's yeah. nothing. Thank
2: you, Joanne. I appreciate the call. It's 1059. We'll get to our news now, and then we're going to come back with Jack Windsor. He's got three big stories to discuss with us. coming up on Always
0: Right Radio AM 1420 DS. is always right radio with bob French on am 1420 the answer
2: yes indeed it is and we continue into our number three now nine minutes past 11 o'clock it's a wednesday the 11th morning of the first month year of our lord 2023 i just got a message from uh somebody via facebook who said interesting bob just now your show went out while talking about lithium and cobalt mining Sending little children into the mines, then out. Also happened about 10 minutes before while you were promoting an event. I'm listening to you on Hey Google. And so I wanted to let him know because I get your point. Uh, I sometimes wonder when strategic things are cut for one reason or another and people can't hear it if there isn't some sort of nefarious thing going on. But in this particular case, probably not. I've been listening to Hugh Hewitt sometimes before my show uh, via the stream You know, on the WHK.com or on the uh, app through our 31420 mobile app. And things just cut out. It's the stream that cuts out. It goes into a buffer. Kind of a thing. It's not necessarily the government or somebody else cutting the feed because of what is being said at that time. I've heard it on all of the shows that I listen to, including non Salem shows, if I've got them on my, you know, on an app or uh, uh, on a stream. Uh, one way or another through my phone or through my tablet or through my computer or whatever. So, chances are very good. That was just a buffering issue that got cut out and not somebody trying to stop me from making points that I wanted to make, much less pointing out the new show that I'm going to be hosting on True Blue uh, streaming channel, the True Blue streaming channel. Download it from your app store, by the way, for your TV, for your tablet, for your phone, whatever. Uh, it is. It's going to be tremendous. Uh, it's True Blue. I hope my show will be called True Blue Daily. It starts shooting today. It'll start airing sometime in the next two weeks, which I will let you know. But I don't think they were trying to silence me on that. Now, this guy they might be trying to silence. My next guest is Jack Windsor. Jack Windsor is, of course, uh, the editor-in-chief and the founder of the extraordinarily informative uh, Ohio Press Network. He is uh, also the uh, statehouse correspondent for us on AM 1420, The Answer, covering what's going on in the State House in columbus jack windsor uh you they might be trying to silence i don't know what do you think
9: (laughs) well i know that uh, i've already been silenced by elected officials in the state of ohio and (laughs) i know for a fact that some of our news reports get pushed down the news feed uh, at places like facebook uh previously twitter uh and i'm certain that google uh, doesn't like what we produce so uh touche i think you've got a point there bob
2: Well, we know that for a fact, Jack, because our podcast, Talking Smack with Bob and Jack, which has run into a couple of technical difficulties, by the way. We didn't have a a broadcast on Monday, and I apologize for that. Um, But we certainly know that when it comes to Google, that's the case because Google owns YouTube, and our podcast was also hosted on YouTube, and at least two of our first 12 episodes have been taken down and removed. We are told because we discussed, even in passing... The illegitimacy of the stolen election of 20, uh, 2020, rather. Um, apparently, if you discuss stolen elections or if you talk about election fraud anywhere within earshot or shot of the algorithms that Google uses for their platform and for their their video platform, which is YouTube. Apparently, that is grounds for goodbye. And we've found that out uh, already.
9: Yeah, we found that out the hard way. You know, it's a really disturbing and disgusting trend. Um, you can't get out in front of mainstream. You can't get out in front of big tech. And I'll give you an example. I know someone who's written some articles for us, who um, wrote something to the Wall Street Journal, and the Wall Street Journal would not publish it. Basically, called him a, a hoaxer or huckster. Uh, now, two or three months later, they're publishing the information. So, what we talked about is legitimate. Uh, big tech absolutely uh, censored people who had views or opinions or information that was different from what they wanted the general population to see. And they took it down and that was a big deal. So was the fact that they did not want Hunter Biden's laptop story out there. Like it or not, those things are real. but big tech doesn't want Americans to understand that yet on their time. They will. And it'll probably be when there are congressional hearings into the matters uh, in the months ahead.
2: Yeah, I, yeah, that's probably exactly what will happen. We're talk, talking to Jack Windsor, the editor and founder of uh, the Ohio Press Network. So, Jack, let's get into the big stories of the core, of, of the day right now. And, of course, we're going to start w- with the speaker steal of 2023 that you and I have discussed. You finally put a p- I shouldn't say finally. That's derogatory. No, you put it. You, you put an <laughs> in-depth piece. No, it's and I see why you, you wanted to put a lot of time into this, Jack, an in-depth piece out on uh, the selection of uh, Jason yeah. Stevens to be the new speaker by the Republicans, at least 22 of them teaming with 32 Democrats in order to make this happen. <clears throat> and your headline of your your piece is bipartisan, Bipartisanship or Betrayal. Uh, and it's a really good question because the the gang of 22 would indeed say, "Hey, look, we're just being bipartisan. You know, we need to reach out. We gotta, you know, the speaker, by the way, is going to be the speaker for the Democrats as well. He's going to be the leader of the entire Ohio House, so we have to consider that as well." But I think for most Republicans who wanted to see constitutional conservatism be returned to the state of ohio and not just be a red state in name only they were looking forward to something a little bit more than that and they're the ones who feel betrayed so bipartisanship or betrayal give me the the thumbnail answer to that question
9: yeah i think the thumbnail answer to that question depends on um, (laughs) which party you are in which faction of which party you are in and where your contributions come from. I mean, it's really that simple. There are 45 Republicans, um, which is a majority, a, a two to one majority uh, in the Ohio House, who believe that Derek Marin should be speaker and that Jason Stevens taking the gavel has absolutely zero to do with bipartisanship. Um the Democrats will call it bipartisanship because they'll say, "Look, we didn't have a snowball's chance in Hades at getting anything favorable." And Bob, they didn't. There are 67 uh, Republicans in the state house; it's supermajority uh, in the House of Representatives, and they have a supermajority in the Senate, and they have uh, a Republican at least in name in the governor's chair. So, the Republicans didn't need one affirmative vote from Democrats. So it kind of begged the question, well, why make a deal? And it's the interesting part about this piece. It's really in-depth. I would encourage everybody to get to the Ohio Press Network to read it, bipartisanship or betrayal. Make up your own mind. Um, but one of the things that you really can't get over is the fact that even though Republicans who voted for Jason Stevens, and there are 22 of them, even though they are denying, hey, there were no deals, there were no deals, the Democrats actually seem to be honest <laughs> in this endeavor. And they're saying, well, yeah, there was a deal. There was, there was a collaborative effort. And uh, the house minority leader, Alison Russo, even said as such that, um, you know, Jason, Stevens Jason, what she said was they needed our votes, meaning he needed our votes in order to get this over the finish line. And we realized that we could use that opportunity to get some stuff that we wanted. So, um, I, I, is it bipartisanship? I, I don't know. It's it's allowing the Democrats in uh, to do the things that they wanted to do. And I want to read this. I know it's going down into the weeds uh, pretty good, but but I think this was really important. I didn't I didn't catch it the first time I actually published it, but I had time to ruminate on it. I talked to Hudson uh, Democrat Representative Casey Weinstein, and you know he was talking about how it was bipartisan and how he was happy because an extremist like Derek Marin was not going to get elected speaker and I asked him right like can can you define extreme and he said extreme means to me the most radical MAGA voices who care nothing for bipartisanship or for the majority of Ohioans who sent us here to work together to deliver results for them a Marin speakership was going to empower the most extreme voices in the GOP caucus including those who want to gut funding for our public schools further restrict women's rights including abortion rights increased attacks on marginalized communities, communities. It would have given enormous power to what he calls anti-vax and, quote, both sides of the Holocaust extremists. So now he's trying to partner anti-vax and not even anti-vax people who want to, uh, you know, information on vaccines with these both sides of the Holocaust. But, Bob, all of that to say this. I read that quote, and I went, wait a minute. This guy doesn't want bipartisanship. This guy wants to label anything that is opposed to the democratic agenda and call it ex-
2: Uh Oh, we lost Jack. (laughs) I started the interview talking about uh, them wanting to silence Jack Windsor and uh, and boom, Jack Windsor's cell phone cuts out on us uh, right at the wrong time. Uh, Marianne, let me know when we have Jack back on the line.
9: I'm here. Can you hear me, Bob?
2: Oh, yeah. You were gone for about a good, what, 15, 20 seconds there. Uh, which is hilarious because we were just talking about how they wanted to silence you. Your cell phone cuts uh, right in the middle of your point. So, Jack, let me follow up on what you were saying. <clears throat> it is an astounding revelation from Casey Weinstein, or Weinstein, however he pronounces it. It's an astounding revelation that anything that opposes the Democrats' progressive agenda will be labeled radical MAGA and, and, and extremism. And, and this is what the Republicans in the Gang of 22 partnered with. The That's Republicans right. gave this extreme, radical, left-wing platform, not platform, well, I guess platform that they would like to govern on, gave them power, gave them a say, gave them the mm-hmm. moderate uh, speaker that they feel is going to be malleable enough to work with them in advancing their agenda. 22 Republicans just went Democrat. Is that an overstatement?
9: <clears throat> No, it's not. But I would I would even take it a step further, Bob. I talked to a a deep insider on Capitol Square and he said they have betrayed every conservative voter activist and organization that has worked to establish and defend conservative principles. Why? Was it ideology? No. They betrayed them for 30 pieces of silver. And he said to me, this has nothing to do with ideology. That's a red herring argument. This has everything to do with power and money and appeasing the lobbyists. The lobbyists win here. The lobbyists are really happy. i tell you who's not happy, um, the 45 Republicans who feel like um, Ohio is a conservative state and that their constituents want a Derek Marin speakership.
2: Well, there's no question about that. Let's talk about Derek Marin now. Let's trans, trans, uh, uh, transition over to that. Derek, I'll have him live, by the way, tomorrow. Derek Maron is going to be live with me tomorrow morning at, do I have a time on him yet? I think I do. 11 o'clock, 1110. Right now, at the same time Jack Windsor is on, Derek Maron will join me live to talk about all of this and how it went down and where he goes from here. And, Jack, this is where he goes from here. The second big story on the Ohio Press Network right now, a meeting has been called by Derek Maron. Derek Maron wants to get together to discuss the direction of the uh, of the new Ohio House uh, of the of the new General Assembly. He wants to bring in Republicans to discuss the way they should uh, proceed, set goals and procedures, establish the House rules, and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's only inviting the forty five who are not censured. The gang of twenty two is not invited here. In other words, Derek Maron is acting like. The hell with the vote. I am the speaker. I'm calling a meeting, and I'm going to bring everybody in who actually voted as they promised to for me for the speakership, and we're going to lead those individuals who are actually committed to uh, what they said they were going to do. Um, This doesn't look much like unity, which is what Alcatrona and DJ Swearingen and Jay Edwards and all the others that you spoke to, John Cross, talked about the reason why Mm -hmm. they did what they did.
9: Yeah, you know, the unity argument was a really tough one for me to understand. I pushed back on it a lot, especially with Jay Edwards. And the argument that I kept going back to simply was, what's bigger, 45 or 22? I mean, it's really that simple. If you're trying to pull people over the creek, you'd rather pull 22 over than 45, right? I mean, it's double the work. So to say that there's more unity and, and less work and more cohesion, it just mathematically, doesn't make sense. Um, And so my understanding is, you know, Derek Marin sent the memo and it contained exactly what you said. Uh, They are going to get together today to discuss um, matters of business rules for the 135th General Assembly. The other thing that they're going to talk about are the things, our House Joint Resolution 6, which we heard was on the chopping block as part of the deal between the Republicans who voted for Stevens and the Democrats that colluded with them, uh, redistricting and, uh, work with the Republican led Senate. Now sources tell me a couple of key things, Bob, about this meeting. Derek Marin wasn't necessarily the person behind it. Uh, one of his opponents was even involved in the process. Phil Plummer, who ran against him for Speaker mm-hmm. in the caucus vote, uh, is, was involved. I understand that Scott Wiggum is involved in this. And of course Derek is. Um, but sources told me a couple of key things. Um, not only did Jason Stevens cancel House sessions, uh, due to lack of consensus. We talked about that. He canceled Sessions last week. He's now canceled the Republican retreat that was on the books for January when I talked to one lawmaker and said, tell me why. And he said, well, because he's not going to have 32 Democrats there to stand behind him. He has 45 people who oppose him and 22 who agree. So they canceled the retreat. Um, one lawmaker told me directly that Stevens has begun telling others that Representatives Sarah Carruthers and John Cross, quote, don't speak for us. Referring to the CUA 22, uh, that according to, I said, like I said, a GOP representative, he said it's due to brash behavior. Now, Bob, I think you've talked about, uh, what you might call brash behavior or at least somewhat disrespectful, seemingly disrespectful behavior from John Cross on the air. Um, and it sounds like he's fallen uh, into disfavor with the CUA 22. Um, now here's the crux of it, though. It will be interesting to see where this goes. Uh, Ohio law, it's section 3517.10 states that each political party shall have one legislative campaign fund in this case the house has one gop fund now according to the law each campaign fund shall be administered and controlled in a manner designated by who the caucus and the caucus is defined as all of the members of the house of representatives uh of the same political party so the real question is will the 45 mayor and voters stick together and if so Uh, it would appear they could potentially dictate what happens with the money. And I think the other argument is Stevens may say, well, wait a minute, I'm the Speaker and I lead the caucus, so I direct the funds. I think we're going to have a little scrum for money coming down the the pike, Bob.
2: How much power does the Speaker have over the caucus? If there is a majority of the caucus, if, let's say, forty five, the 45 or a significant majority of them say, let's freeze out the 22 that, that completely abandoned us and stabbed Derek Merritt in the back, and quite frankly, stabbed Ohio's constituents in the back. Um, If there's a majority, a significant majority of the caucus that wants to do this, can the Speaker override them? I mean, it's not a – I can't imagine it would be, you know, such a monarchy within the caucus.
9: Well, we have a representative Republican. You just hit the nail on the head. Um, The only way that there is, you know, absolutism, if you will, is when, for example, people before a House Speaker vote say – even if my guy doesn't win, I'm going to vote for the winner uh, on January 3rd. And then after that vote, they unanimously agree. Um, that's that's where they would assimilate if they acquiesce, if they give their vote. And in this case, even if they give their vote, it doesn't seem to mean a whole hill of beans, at least to 22 Republicans out of the 67. But I digress. So, no, he shouldn't have that ab- uh, absolute authority over the caucus. Each person there, you know, the, I guess the goal of the caucus is to have alignment and to understand where there is agreement so that when you get on the floor, you can do the things that you know are are able to get done. And so if 45 members of the caucus are a majority, good luck. I mean, I think those 45 wield the power right now if you Uh, want a piece of legislation over the finish line you better damn well do what we want to do we cannot have a dictatorship
2: yeah we cannot have a dictatorship being run within the bounds of a representative republic uh that that's that's insane uh jack windsor i've got two more for you but we're out of time here for now can you hang on through the news yeah, man. For sure. Okay. We're going to talk about the new Ohio voter ID law and the lawsuit filed by the Democrats to stop it from taking uh, taking taking hold, if you will, or taking effect in the state of Ohio. Um, and we're also going to discuss COVID-19 and uh, a couple of very important issues that Jack and his team have written about also for the Ohio Press Network. Check it out while you're on hold and while you're waiting uh, at theohiopressnetwork.com. And we'll come right back after the news on AM
0: 1420. The The
8: answer.
0: This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by the Floor King and keeping Medicare simple. Okay,
2: 1136 now, Always Right Radio, <clears throat> continuing with uh, Jack Windsor. Check out his work and his team's work at uh, theohiopressnetwork.com. Jack, Two stories still to discuss. Uh, probably have to uh, trim them down just a little bit to get them both in. But let's talk about the new voter ID law, and let's talk about the new lawsuit. You wrote about this. Uh, Mark Elias, Democratic Party elections lawyer, has sued the state of Ohio over the new voter ID law, which would require a photo identification in order to cast a vote in person uh, in any Ohio election. And that could be a state driver's license. It could be a state ID card. And this is the best part about it. Um, the law allows the state ID cards to be issued for free to any person seventeen and over. It automatically defeats arguments that say requiring voter ID is like a poll tax because some people can't afford to go and get a driver's license or an ID. They make it free. There is no reason whatsoever people cannot do this. What's the basis of the lawsuit, Jack? All right. Do we lose, Jack? How many Christmas?
9: All right. Uh, Bob, can you hear me?
2: Yep. You there, Jack?
9: I'm here. Are we good now?
2: Yeah. We just need to get you a new phone or a new plan.
9: Uh, Go ahead. Big brother. No, no, no. I think we've got big brother going going on. All right. So according to the Legislative Service Commission, the law, uh, it defines photo ID as unexpired Ohio driver's license, state ID card, interim identification form, U.S. passport or passport card, or military ID card that includes the individual's name and photograph. So what the law does is it allows one drop box per county, changes from seven to four the number of days after an election a voter has to prove identity that wasn't proven at the polls. And it shortens the time frame during which a voter may apply for and cast absentee ballots. As you mentioned, it allows uh, ID cards to be issued for free. It eliminates August special elections. And early voting on the Monday before the election day, which Secretary of State Frank LaRose said will better allow county boards of elections to prepare for Tuesday elections. Now, Mark Elias, as you mentioned, filed a lawsuit real quickly. Let's figure out who Mark Elias is for anyone who is still unsure. He's the Democratic Party election lawyer, activist and founder of Democracy Docket. He filed a lawsuit challenging Ohio's new voter ID on Friday. Now, Elias' law firm, it lost a ballot box observer lawsuit in Arizona during the November general election. And remember, this is the guy who was Hillary Clinton's top campaign lawyer during her run for the presidency in 2016. He's the operative who commissioned the infamous Steele dossier, which was at the heart of the Russia collusion hoax Democrats used to try to unseat President Trump. And he worked to force a lot of those state election law changes during the 2020 elections um, that many uh, critics say were responsible for the total chaos uh, during those elections. But, look, CNN survey says 64 percent of voters favor voter ID laws um, and NPR, PBS Mars poll showed that 79 percent of voters believe government issued voter I.D. should be required to vote. Fifty seven percent of them are Democrats. So this bill should be a slam dunk um, all with everybody except for Mark Elias. And, you know, the Democrats who don't want fair elections, uh, critics say, uh, but just want to get the blue crayon out and uh, make sure that blue is all over the map in the state of Ohio. Bob, can you hear
2: me? Jack, are you there?
9: I'm here, can you hear me?
2: Yeah, we continue to have gremlins, I guess, uh, Jack. Jack, can you um c- can you tell me why they caved on the one drop box? Uh, it's better than before, but even having one drop box, why can they not just say people come in and vote in person? If they have a drop box, it is liable to be filled with lord only knows what how many what manner of things and unless even if it's um even if it's monitored by video, People can still get away with things. Oh, look at that! The video wasn't recording at that time. How many times have we seen that, Jeffrey Epstein? Why wasn't the video recording going when people were stuffing this Dropbox full, full of, uh, you know, multiple ballots? I just—if there's any room for fraud, I feel like it will be taken advantage of, and fraud will happen.
9: Yeah, I think we have to really get to the marrow of the issue, and I don't think that um, Republicans are willing to do that, and Democrats, as you know, are seldom willing to give up one inch of ground. So I think it probably was done in the spirit of, well, we need to give him something. And, you know, Mike DeWine, when he signed the bill, said, you know, there were more restrictive bills that could have been signed. I'm glad that this is the one that came through. So it seems like he may not have even uh, been in support of that. But, you know, Bob, we I think we've talked about this off air. It's always interesting to me. Elias's group said that um, Ohio's new voter suppress he calls it voter suppression law. And he argues that the law imposes discriminatory burdens on the fundamental right to vote. I mean, the elephant in the room we have to talk about is, okay, then how do people get their prescriptions filled? How do they rent a car? How do they get on an airplane? How do they go to a club? How do they buy cigarettes or liquor or authorize a Facebook profile or flash your ID to get into your college housing or an athletic contest? It's just, you know, it seems like there are a lot of red herring arguments that get stickers on them. And that sticker is voter suppression or discriminatory and when those words get used it seems like Republicans scatter a lot.
8: Yeah
2: that's you're exactly right. That is exactly what happens. Uh Jack we've got time barely here uh to get one more story and this is on covid. Now this is a pretty big uh deep dive that uh that you guys have done here. Uh tell us and by the way not, I'm sorry I did not mean to say COVID. I mean to say specifically the number of people who are, are dying suddenly and dropping over. It is believed by many to be the result of the COVID shots. I shouldn't say that as if it's a, uh, you know, an established fact already. By the way, Damar Hamlin, uh, the uh, Buffalo Bills player who touched off a national discussion over this, uh, has just been released. I just came across my screen. Just been released from a Buffalo hospital. He's home now. So that is, that is terrific news. But uh, do you want to touch on this for about a minute and a half?
9: Yeah, and I'm going to actually do a plug here. This story was written um, by Lisa Murtha. Lisa is a super fantastic writer, and I'm going to encourage all of your listeners, Bob, if you are not yet subscribing to the Ohio Press Network, please do so. We have a group and a junket of writers who just work their tails off, and they put it on the line every day. This is a story that is not going to be popular. It's really going to make some people uncomfortable, but that's news, and that's good news, because our job is to bring people the unbridled truth, and that's what this story does. And really what it does is it takes DeMar Hamlin's awful situation. You know, that was one of those things where a lot of people were watching. It was a primetime Monday night game. Everybody was tuned in. And you saw a guy die, essentially, on the field. Had had the uh, group of people been there, the medical professionals, had they not been there to revive him, who knows what would have happened. I think we we expect the worst-case scenario would have happened. But we have to really start talking about some of the – uncomfortable statistics with this jab. And I will I will say two things about this story. I'm going to encourage everybody to read it on their own. Number one, Lisa Murtha says it out of the gate. Um, Damar Hamlin is not the story. He's the victim. And we need to start looking at the story that, re- that way. And I think to me, the most compelling part of the story, it's chock full of compelling moments, but is a Reuters opinion piece that was written December 20th, 2022. And it indicates that uh, let's see more uh, people who have been injured from the covid vaccine It more than tripled from twenty three hundred to seventy five forty four between twenty twenty one and twenty twenty two. That is why that is why
2: long term studies that we had all been talking about needed to be conducted before anything was approved. Long term studies. And that's still not even a long enough term. Jack, we're out of time, my friend. We'll pick this conversation up on our next talk and smack with Bob and Jack uh, podcast. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you tomorrow.